0: Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, in high fidelity.
1: Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Talk Show. I'm Linda Kozar, and I'm excited to launch this new show, which will feature hour-long, in-depth interviews with a variety of people, some of whom are professional authors, like my guest today, and some of whom have written books based on interesting, unusual, life-changing, or profound experiences. As many of you know, I have another show on this network, Chat Noir, Mystery and Suspense, and that will go on as usual. I'm your host, as I said, Linda Kozar, and I am going to be interviewing award-winning author Athena Dean Holtz. And tonight, she is offering three free copies of her new book, Full Circle, and one autographed softcover copy. So I hope that you have... Commented on our Facebook pages or that you plan on calling in tonight because we'll enter your name in the contest You can you can ask a question of our guest tonight But your name will be entered and uh, we're going to announce the winner later on Okay, I'm going to read a little about my guest Athena Dean Holtz to start off with and Here goes. I've spent the past 30 years in the book publishing industry as co-founder and former owner of Wine Press Publishing. I pioneered the independent publishing movement in the Christian book industry. I was blessed to spend a year as a radio personality on Always Faithful Radio, a live radio program for women on AM 630 KSLR in San Antonio, Texas, where I served as broadcast missionary under commission to every nation. Now I'm hosting the same show on AM 630 KCIS in Seattle, Washington, Fridays at 1 p.m. PST. I hope you'll check out her show there. I'm also a cult survivor, twice over. Once, before I became a Christian, I got sucked into and escaped from the Church of Scientology. After my salvation experience in 1986, I was lured into a legalistic, toxic, abusive Christian cult called sound doctrine and of course uh our our uh, guest walked away from all that god delivered her from it but and then early in 2014 she she was able to return to publishing in the northwest and co-founded redemption press and if i if i read any more of this i'm going to give away too, too much but uh just to say, the most exciting thing that has happened to her recently was that she married Ross Holtz, founding pastor of the Summit in Evangelical Free Church. That means she's now a pastor's wife, and they have a combined family of six sons, two daughters, and 17 grandchildren. She absolutely loves boating and RVing, and I'm not going to pronounce even cloth. <laughs> I pronounced it wrong before, but I'm going to have her pronounce that. It's in Washington. Okay, so welcome to the show, Athena. <laughs> Thank it's you for being to with be us. great on.
0: Thanks for having me. You bet. Pronounce, be with you.
1: pronounce where you live again.
0: It's Eman. Enumclaw, Washington. It's an Indian name.
1: Enumclaw. And isn't it something like a place of evil spirits or something? I think I remembered that's what it yeah. meant
0: yes it was the wind we we're right next to mount rainier we're kind of in this little valley and the wind just really goes crazy and it whips through the mountains and so it was the evil wind it was something to do with the wind noise of the wind in the mountains and they the indians thought it was evil spirits so
1: wow pretty interesting <laughs> okay so you have um You have three books, right? You have uh, your latest one, Full Circle, Coming Home to the Faithfulness of God. Another one is Consumed by Success. Um, Well, no, it's four Mm -hmm. books. Uh, All That Glitters is Not God, and You Can Do It, A Guide to Christian Self-Publishing. Okay. Correct. Um, No. Now, we are going to open lines for callers if you want to call in. I have a bunch of questions from uh, people who wanted to ask you some questions. Uh, so please uh, listen in if you're listening to the show right now. And um, and just, I'll get to you. You know, if we're in the middle of something, you may have to wait a minute or so. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Okay. Now, now your bio says, the part that I didn't read, that um, before Jesus, your life was a train wreck of relationships. And that's, I mean, that's true of a lot of us. Um, but, uh, these relationships, uh, were used to your best advantage to get what you needed and wanted. Tell us, tell us how all this started, because I mean, you gave your heart to Jesus at age 33, which is, you know, kind of coincides yes. with Jesus. <laughs> um, yes. So, um,
0: yes. <laughs> well, uh, a lot of my life, uh, leading up to meeting the Lord and hearing the gospel, which I never, I mean, it's not like I went to VBS and went to Sunday school. I, I never heard it until I was 33. So I was clueless yeah. of what he, Jesus had done for us and, um, and for me specifically. So, uh, early on, um, coming out of a, a pretty dysfunctional family. And then, uh, that, in at, at a young age there was sexual abuse and i ended up uh you know getting an abortion when i was 19 didn't have a clue what what that really meant or what i was really doing um but the 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 result of that was um you know making a vow in my heart that i was never going to let anybody use me again so mm. Kind of what happens when you make a vow like that, you, if you say, I'm never going to let anybody use me again, well then you end up, if no one's going to use me, I'm going to be the user. I'm going to be in control. I'm not going to let other Mm -hmm. people be in control. So that just turned into, uh, you know, every relationship that was important to me was really all I cared about was that I was in control and that I got what I wanted. Um, so not a healthy way to have relationship. And, uh, so because of that, uh, and, and my first marriage was, uh, filled with domestic violence. Um, my, uh, I was nursing my six month old when, you know, my ex-husband broke my arm while I was nursing him at six months old. It was, it was oh, wow. not good. It just and kept getting worse. It was pretty drastic. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So when you've got that kind of trauma, you know, you've got sexual abuse, then you've got um, abortion, then you've got domestic violence. Well, that's that's a lot of pain. So my uh, medication of choice was to work and to be very successful at my work because, you know, that's what I just gave my life to was work. And, Do you think it's uh, pretty
1: common you know, that to get the accolades, you know, to have that sort of pat on sure. the back? Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, because that so was that's was what where you, you know. It. I wanted, I wanted significance, and I and you know, I didn't want to feel the pain. So if I stayed busy and was successful and got those accolades and got those, um, you know, people that um, loved me for what I did, not for who I was. Um, you know, that felt good. And so that was pretty much the way I lived my life, even into my um, marriage uh, that was kind of in the middle of Scientology. Uh, Really, I didn't even know the guy when I married him. It was kind of just, uh, I don't even know what you'd call it. I was a, a year out from the domestic violence. And I, you know, I really didn't, I, I mean, I was floundering and I just, you know, wanted life to be back to normal and uh, had these two little boys. And so I ended up marrying this guy I didn't even know. And, uh, <laughs> you know, at, of at some point he was like, he was, he was like, you know, uh, I feel like you have this lover and it's your work. It's your job. That's all you do. That's, you know, and I'm just kind of, you know, thrown under the bus all the time. So it was a very, uh, not a healthy, no, not uh, n- just, uh, you know, whatever I needed to do to just feel okay. That's well, that's was what he, I did. Was he you know, a
1: Scientologist? Is that how you the connection, was, or did you? He was. Okay, so that's how you yes. kind of got into it. And but you were swimming around like I've heard um, a therapist describe this before: as when you don't want to deal with things, you kind of swim around like a shark because they really don't sleep; they just they swim around just looking for prey or whatever, uh-huh, and they they don't. Uh-huh. Sleep. So it sounds Absolutely. like you were. that's a great more. Yeah,
0: you know, that's a great description.
1: description. Yeah, so yeah. so anyway, and, he got uh, you
0: involved in
1: Scientology.
0: He actually he didn't get me involved. I, I actually did get involved before him, but that was okay. that was the culture that we were in, and because I'd come from my family was pretty much New Age, so I came from a lot of um, you know Unity. My grandmother was a Unity minister, and uh, mm-hmm. so Scientology wasn't didn't seem that far out to me just because of. Um, what I'd been around with my grandmother and meditation and, you you know, and all that, the Ouija boards and all that. Um, so, uh, I know it's, it sounds crazy, but it was all, uh, you know, I knew God was drawing me from such an early age, but because I didn't know who he was, I, all the counterfeits were what I went after and got sucked into. Um, because I didn't know yeah. any better, but it was, I was really, I was looking for the truth. I just didn't know where to find it. So you were
1: looking for um, the light, but you kept going for the shiny things.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, gosh, I just, uh, we both ended up getting saved, right. Uh, him first and then me a little bit after that when I was 33 and, uh, it was a profound, I mean, for someone, I was very, I thought Christians were wimps. I was a God hater. I, you know, I didn't need that. I was successful. I was making six figures. I didn't need Jesus. I didn't need a. I didn't need a crutch. Um, but God had another plan. So that uh, that was a whole uh, amazing transformation that happened in my life when I was thirty three.
1: Well, um, how did you kind of disconnect yourself from Scientology? You know, you hear all these horror stories about. People trying to leave it, you know, and getting into a lot yeah, of trouble.
0: That, yes, absolutely. Well, it was about a year before I ended up getting saved that we um, it, it was kind of an interesting kind of crazy thing. We had moved into a rental house and the people that were there before left some books in the bookcase and I just pulled one out and it was called White Witchcraft and it was Ew. by Alistair <laughs> I know it was by Alistair Crowley.
1: Crow, of course, no he the Satanic but, Church, n- right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I
0: had no idea who this guy was, but he brought Satanism into the U.S. from from Britain. And yeah. I'm and but but this was such a God thing because I opened the book and I just opened it to a random page, and there on that random page was almost an entire page of content that I had seen in a L. Ron Hubbard book where L. Ron Hubbard said that was his content.
1: Mm, so all, the same. all of a sudden,
0: plagiarism. I'm like, oh, okay, I've been duped. Here, here is the proof that L. Ron Hubbard is a fraud. And it was just right there in front of me. And so that, that was what got us both to walk away from Scientology. We got death threats. Um, you know, I had a lot of people, we had a lot of people working for us that were Scientologists. So they all quit and we got death threats and, you know, it, it, it was amazing that we survived that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we, but when we got saved, there was a real radical transformation in both of us. And that was, uh, boy, the minute we got saved, we were. Boom! Into full time ministry almost immediately, which uh, now did you? I now would how have did that say, happen? Not a good idea.
1: <laughs> no,
0: it's it, it, it should take pay? a bit
1: of time. Yeah, how did that happen for you? Everybody has their their salvation experience. Well, those of us who are believers do, but <laughs> um, yes, and it's a special thing. So, how did that happen for yes. you? Yes.
0: Well, it's, it was an interesting thing. I had set Chuck up in a business where he was doing fundraising and he, with some other Scientologists and other Vietnam veterans had decided that uh, they kind of got sucked into this Freeman movement where you don't have to have a social security number and you don't have to pay taxes and you don't have to have a license on your car and you don't have to have a driver's license. And it's like this radical, I shouldn't well, have that's to kinda, pay taxes. It's kind of
1: topical because you hear people saying that kind of stuff now too. Uh, you know, it's oh yeah, in the news. oh yeah, it's
0: been around for a long time. It's been around for a long time, but he was caught up into it to the point where the business that I set him up in, he never followed through with some of the basic things that he needed to do in order for it to be a legitimate business that was doing fundraising in the state of Washington. And he also had, you know, taken the license plates off his car and and put on phony ones that said "just skip it." and was using a warehouse <laughs> bank. Uh-huh. I know, it's wild. He's using a warehouse uh-huh. bank where all the, all the money that he took in from his fundraising, he turned into gold and silver. So it was, a, it was an, and at the same time, I'm selling insurance and mutual funds. So I had a Series 7 license. And <laughs> like, talk about two polar opposites. To- totally. This could this be a great um, movie just saying. (laughs) I know it. I know. I know. People tell me that all the time. It's crazy. But here we are. I'm driving in the car, and I hear on the radio, on Cairo News, Chuck and Athena Dean indicted for the largest fraud case in Washington charity history. And I'm like, excuse me? (laughs) Excuse me? That's not my business. And that you is just a said surprise. my name. You know <laughs> well, that is yeah. not a good way to find out. No, and, and you don't have <laughs> a Series Seven license where you're selling in um, securities and mutual funds and have the word fraud anywhere near you. I mean that's that's no. bad news. And I almost got fired. And I, you know, it was that was it. I just I went home. I said you're done. Whatever you did. Uh, you've done it now, and I'm done with you, and so I I just had made up my mind, that was it, I was going to divorce him, he had messed with my, you know, what was important to me, which was my job, and Your my work, success, yeah. and um, yeah. exactly, and uh, I went away for a week for a conference, and I came back, and he was totally different, and I could not figure out what happened to him, and it turned out that, um, he had called his manager, uh, or, well, one of my managers in the financial services company who was a Christian. And the guy said, well, look, you've tried everything else. You want to try Jesus? And Chuck said, well, sure. So he prayed with him on the phone. I mean, just on a lark, he prayed with him on the phone and he was different. And so I come home to this guy who's not the same and I'm, you know, all of a sudden I'd already made up on my resolve was we're done. And yeah. pretty soon I hear myself when he says, well, can we try it one more time? I go, well, okay, I guess so. And at that point I started realizing, oh no, he's one of them. So now I have to be one of them because if we're going to stay married, I, we have to be the same thing. I mean, I didn't even know what yeah. that meant. I know so, it wouldn't work if I mean, you were if up, you were darkness and light. <laughs> it Doesn't quite right. mix. And he grew up in a he he grew up in a Christian home, so he knew he understood the significance of being a Christian. I didn't, mm. and so I just said, "Well, okay, what do I do? What do I do next?" And uh, one of the other managers in the financial services business sent me uh, mere Christianity. By C.S. Lewis. C.S.
1: Lewis, yes. And I don't,
0: yes, I don't remember a thing about it. I don't remember what I read. All I remember was halfway through, I'm just bawling, realizing, oh my goodness, I need a savior. (laughs) I was about as far away from ever realizing that as you could be for 33 years. So it was, it was quite a, an eye-opening revelation for me to realize I was not this great, you know, I had it all together, which was a lie in the first place. But, you know, I I certainly knew how to lie to myself.
1: So how did you change? I mean, did you notice a a profound change in in yourself?
0: Yeah, I was. And this is um, a lot of people don't know this about Scientology. The culture of Scientology is everyone smokes a lot of cigarettes, drinks a lot of coffee, and cusses like sailors. I mean, really, really bad. Like the F-bomb, every other sentence. That's And that wow. is the culture. Everyone talks like that. So that's what I was like. I, I mean, somebody actually heard me doing a presentation, and he said, gosh, you know, every couple of minutes, you use the Lord's name in vain. Did you realize in that hour... Forty times you took the Lord's name in vain. I, I didn't even know it. I mean, it was just well, part of who I was. I thought I was bad. I thought
1: I was bad in Toastmasters saying "ah" a lot. <laughs> but
0: <laughs> gosh, <laughs> you, right. don't, you don't see, re- yeah, so you don't realize that
1: life and death are in no, the power of the no, tongue,
0: right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I just can't imagine. Here is all these Christians working, you know, that I'm working around and i'm dropping the f bomb every other sentence that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> and they, you know, just wow. loved me. They I mean they were probably cringing inside, but when yes. i said that prayer, it was gone. Completely. Oh. It was So like did miraculous. people
1: comment? Did people say, "Wow, yeah. you really Clean that up.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, and it's and it's not like I it's not like I knew I needed to change that. It wasn't like, okay, Lord, will you save me and clean up my mouth? I didn't say that. I just said, okay, Jesus, I want you in my heart, and boom. So that. Well, you know, you know what I said I was a
1: pretty um, cursing is the devil's language. So when you were no longer part of him, you were no longer speaking the same language. So. Interesting. Yep. So, so now after that, yep. okay, it, you and your husband, did that save your marriage? Did it, it bring your marriage it to did. a better place? Well, it
0: did. For, it did for a while. And, um, of course, we were busy in ministry. He, uh, We ended up starting this ministry for Vietnam veterans and their family members called Point Man Ministries. And, I mean, we just were uh, – and, again, it was me – Going back to what I knew, which was work workaholism, which still wasn't healthy, yeah. but now we were no. doing it for God. And uh, <laughs> so we built this whole ministry and got this whole thing going, and um, it, about uh, three or four years later, uh, he had written this book for Vietnam veterans, and we ended up publishing. Uh, actually self-publishing it because nobody wanted he wasn't a celebrity and none of the publishers wanted to publish him and we used that for our ministry all across the country and it helped us grow the ministry and um, we ended up going through like 10,000 copies in two years and then Multnomah bought the rights and so we had this successful self-publishing experience and from that we ended up starting wine press because people kept saying well will you help me with my book so it was just this thing that happened and eight years into starting Wine Press Publishing, which then became, I mean, a very credible, reputable custom publishing company that published yes. really good books, very excellent. I mean, no you didn't nobody looked like they were self published if they were no. a wine press book.
1: Now you know. Um, now now you had it. your finger, you had your finger on the pulse of something that was coming. I mean, some. I mean, because yes. that's before but indie publishing became. I mean, it's been like a tidal wave, mm. and it has consumed so many right. publishing houses in its wake. But but you had your finger yeah. on the pulse of this. You know that uh, something was happening. You know, a lot of people wanted their voices well, to be heard in the written form.
0: But. I- but I didn't even know that. I mean, it wasn't like I looked yeah. at it and went, you know, other people are going to have the same problem we had. So we ought to start a company to to help them get published so that, you know, it wasn't even that I had that thought. It was just it happened because of our yeah. experience. And so we we're like, yeah. well, gosh, sure, I guess we could do that to help you. And it turned into I mean, I ended up pioneering that whole movement there. There I was like the first person that was ever invited to Mount Hermon, to Blue Ridge, mm-hmm. to Florida Christian Writers, to write, to publish. They would never have vanity publishers there, which was the only thing that anybody right. even thought of when they thought of, you know, author funding their own publishing. It was really very negative.
1: Well, but when people mentioned
0: experience. Yeah,
1: it was with, uh, among other authors like myself, it was highly respected you know, I mean, good quality. And
0: yeah, absolutely. And that's because my whole thing was, okay, if we're going to do this, and we're going to do and we're going to get something into print for God, we better look like the big guys, we don't need to look like, you know, we did it ourselves. And so there was that quality and that reputation that was there that it was totally a God thing, the way that it was birthed. But eight years into it, We ended up, I ended up meeting a woman who was a quote unquote pastor's wife. I met her at the Right to Publish conference. Turns out her husband had this book that he's written that she said, Well, it's really edgy. So I think you're the right publisher for him. And it was a little bit of flattery. And I was like, Well, okay, let's see. And uh, we ended up publishing his book. um, But he turned out to be an absolute wolf in sheep's clothing, not a good man at all. Um but he knew now the he name of that when he came in. That book was called Get This, Hating for Jesus. <laughs> oh, in on, retrospect, on, it makes on, you wonder why you said yes. <laughs> I know. Oh. But well, see, here's the deal. They quote the scripture, Luke fourteen twenty six and say, you know, if you want to be my disciple, you have to hate your mother, father, sister, brother, wife, children, and even your own life if you want to be a disciple. So it's this like edgy, like if you really want to be a Christian, you have to obey this scripture. And it was almost done in a way that was like, well, you're less than if you don't see the truth in this.
1: So, so he so was, was really good insidious. at twisting a, twisting scripture, uh-huh. you know, to suit his purpose, yep. or to really suit the enemy's purpose.
0: Absolutely. Okay, well, exactly. so so and here's the, deal. the name of
1: that, and the name was Sound right. Doctrine. The name of his ministry, right? Was the church?
0: Is yep. Uh-huh. The church, uh, okay. yes. The cult, not a church. It was a cult. Yeah. Oh yes, but the, I didn't. The, I didn't know it. The cult church. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, the cult so church. What happened next? But here's. Well, here's the deal, because you have to remember, we got saved and boom, went right into full-time ministry. So I didn't have a foundation of understanding scripture and what's the difference between scripture in context and out of context. Well, there's a big difference. But because I didn't have that, I was not a Berean, I was not, I didn't know the word and i didn't know to question the word if it wasn't in con- i didn't know i didn't understand that concept of context and so that guy could quote scripture up one side and down the other and it impressed me but it was now this should be a
1: warning I mean, this should be a warning yes. to new believers, you know, that you take a couple of years and just study God's word and and listen to yep. a lot of teachings, go to, you know, I mean, because you really need to immerse yourself in God's word. You need to know what you believe, you know, and what's right and, and learn to compare it to scripture, you know, compare what people say, you know, to scripture. So, yeah. So, so anyway,
0: doubt. Don't just look yeah. at that one scripture and not look at the few verses before and the few verses after, yes, it's very that can important. make a big difference,
1: difference. yeah, yes, oh my goodness so so he started twisting scripture and and you were just you know you were innocent, you were falling for it, he was using you so so what happened next?
0: yes, I Well, I was vulnerable because you have to remember I was, you know, had all this pain in my life that I never let God deal with when I got saved. I just continued my workaholic behavior and continued that unhealthy lifestyle thinking I was okay because I was under the blood and I'm a new creation and all that good stuff. And uh, so basically this guy weaseled his way in, got us to invite him to move here from Colorado and start a church. And he came in and started advising us on how to run wine press. And pretty soon he and my ex-husband were just butting heads. And pretty soon Chuck said, okay, there's something wrong with this guy. And I'm not leaving you, but I'm leaving the church. And they had already started to poison me against anyone who would oppose their doctrine. And basically that you know he and his wife would say anybody who doesn't believe this they're just a wide-road Christian we're on the narrow road we really love God they just love themselves and so when he said that to me I was like shame on you you know and they they just said here's a scripture you know let the unbeliever leave he doesn't really love God you need to divorce him in Jesus name and I is that 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 painful is that is that
1: painful to you to think of that now, you know, that, that they convinced you of that. I mean, cause there's so many people in your same yeah. place who have been, you know, taken down that road, if, you know, yep. it's, it's, it's suffering. And it's,
0: and I had, I had to go back to him and say, you know, I was wrong and I'm sorry, please forgive me because they, mm-hmm. I, I completely bought it hook, line and sinker. I not only bought it and divorced him as every one of my kids over a period of years said, we don't want to have anything to do with that. They got me to cut them off. They're idolaters have nothing to do with them.
1: Oh, gee, that is just, Oh, it's so hard. So hard to
0: hear that. Yep.
1: Yep. But and so I found out
0: but, later that all cults use that Luke fourteen twenty six to divide families because it's easier for a cult leader to control someone who's a single person than someone who's married.
1: Yes. So true. Or they and can marry you yep. to someone they want to marry you to. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so, so uh, he so yep. he wound
0: up taking
1: over the company ultimately,
0: right? He did. Yep, he, he convinced me that because I was a woman, I shouldn't be in authority over men and I shouldn't be in any sort of leadership over men and I was my salvation was at risk if I continued because Wine Press was still growing and it was very successful and had lots and lots and lots of Um, editors and agents and people who sent us people from, you know, professionals who sent people to us to publish for them so that they could build a market and build a platform and and then go back and and maybe go with a, a, a traditional publisher. So, I mean, we had incredible reputation. People trusted me and he convinced me that I wasn't spiritual enough to be able to handle it. And so I came to this conclusion of course, with his brainwashing that I needed to give him the company, which finally happened in 2010. I turned it over to them. Uh, It was actually a sale of the company. I, it was a $3.5 million company they got for 10 bucks. And uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I know. I know. And, uh, it took about a year and a half after that for me to realize that I'd been duped. And that's a long story. It's all in my book. It's a, but it, it finally Satan overplayed his hand and it was obvious to me that I had been duped and I had believed a lie. Just, I mean, it was almost the same way that I felt when I read that book from that Satanist. Mm -hmm. the same feeling i have been duped i mean so a second time i was duped uh and i walked away from that and i really thought i was walking away from god because that's what those organizations do they tell you if you leave here you're walking away from god and you're losing your salvation yeah and i just had to say you know what if this is god i don't want him and it wasn't long before I went to a lawyer, and he looked at all of the paperwork, all the sales paperwork, and said, "This is a this is fraudulent. This is a scam. They stole your company. This is not this is not right. It's fraudulent." Mm-hmm. And that was and when and I so realized. Did... That was when I realized.
1: Wow! And so it sunk in, like you realized. Well, they're just. They're not Christians. They're, <laughs> they're exactly. using God's word to get what they want, like you were getting what you wanted before. Exactly. Okay. Exactly.
0: Oh. Exactly. And that's what happens with those vows. You know, you make a vow and you say, I'm not going to be like my mother. And then you end up just like your mother <laughs> or whatever, you know, you make a vow out of anger and yeah. you end up doing that very thing. And, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: It's like the Jacob and Esau, you know, it started with deception, and then he was deceived by his father-in-law, you know, for so yep. many years, you know, given yep. given the wrong wife and all that. But, um, but you know,
0: but God brought yeah. you
1: out of it. So, so tell us what happened, you know, how, I mean, you had some lean years after that.
0: Yes, yes. I walked away, well, I walked away after uh, the last six months that I was, Still at Wine Press, I was making minimum wage, first in the accounting department until I was able to see how money was being spent and confronted them on that. Then they busted me down to uh, cleaning toilets and, you know, being the, the cleaner of Wine Press Publishing. So I, I, you know, cleaned bathrooms and dumped trash and um, for $9 an hour. And uh, so, by the time I walked away, I mean, my credit was completely shot. I had no money. I owed a bunch of money. Um, I had, lo- I mean, I would lost everything. My house had gone on a short sale. I didn't have a car. I, did- I lost everything. So when I walked away, it was like, well, I, you know, again, I didn't even really think I wanted God because I, it had, he had been so misrepresented to me. But once yes. I realized that that was not God, that was a gross m- misrepresentation of the character of God. And, um, I, you know, that little smoldering wick was like the little fan, you know, a little flame started to be fanned. And yeah. it's like, okay, okay, I, I can, uh, I don't want to throw God out if that wasn't him. And so yeah. probably the most significant question I asked was when I said okay Lord what was wrong with me what did I do that opened the door for the enemy to deceive me to the place where I thought what was a lie was the truth and gave up everything for it what did I how did I open a door to be able to be that deceived because I could, really, at that point, I could have just played the victim card and pointed my finger at these people who were evil and who did everything they did was wrong, and it was selfish, and it was manipulative, and it was horrible. But if I did that, then I wouldn't take responsibility for my part. So I had to own what I did. And there were about three things that God showed me that I made a bad choice and and so once I owned that and realized okay I have to take responsibility for this I can't just blame them and that that seemed to be a turning point that took my healing into a much quicker much faster resolution Um, and that's good good advice for everyone
1: (laughs) that's good advice for everyone though too isn't it once you own up your part
0: Absolutely.
1: in whatever's gone yep. on. Yeah. Wow.
0: Absolutely. Even so. if it's a, a, you know, a bad relationship, a toxic relationship. I mean, it doesn't just have to be a cult. It could be any right. bad decision that you make. Boy, that's so healthy to say, okay, God, show me what I did wrong. Show me where I missed it. So that's that good advice. You can repent yeah. and move on. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And good that's advice. what I did. That's, Yes. And so I went back to church. My friend who was also had been in the cult, she invited me to church and three months into going there, the pastor's wife at that time was not sick at all. And she just said to me, you know, I told my husband, if anything ever happens to me, he needs to marry you. And (laughs) I said, okay. (laughs) And, um, And I proceeded to kind of freak out a little bit, and at this point, I'd been single for about 13 years, hadn't been on one date, Um, and so I ended up going to Texas to take care of my mom, uh, to help my brother take care of my mom in her last days, and uh, while I was down there, I ended up, um, after she passed, um, offered a radio show, that's where I got started in radio. I was just another level of healing while I was there. It was just very, very healthy and very um, just, uh, again, kind of a game changer for me. Some different things that God did for me to help me learn to just slow down and be still and wait for him and trust him and all that. So I'm down there and I'm thinking that I'm waiting for this guy who's a good friend of mine who's been through this horrible divorce a year and a half before and I'm just thinking well that must be who God wants me to wait for. So I'm thinking that and at the same time that the late wife of the pastor which was diagnosed with cancer and she's dying and on her deathbed, she makes a list and tells Ross, you need to marry, you know, gave a list of five different options and I was number 1 on the list.
1: Oh my goodness, that's so unusual. Wow, she must she must have really I, loved him and wanted him to be happy after she went to Jesus, you know.
0: Exactly. Really... They've been married 49 mm-hmm. years. She knew what he Aww. would want in a life, and she wanted to make sure that he wasn't alone. And so I, so I had no idea this was all going on, of course, um, but she ends up going to heaven, and I hear about it, and, you know, at first I'm like, oh, dear, you know, this, you know, I was conflicted because I thought I was supposed to be waiting for this other guy, and I just end up going through this whole repentance thing uh, on New Year's Eve, 2013, going into 2014, and I just said, Lord, I don't know, obviously I've not been still. I have not been waiting on you. I have had it all planned out in my head. I've tried to keep in control here, and uh, I just repented and said, okay, God, if you never bring me a husband, if you don't want me ever to get married, I can live with that. I'm, I'm good with that. If that's your will for me, and I didn't just say it thinking, well, if I say this, then I'll get what I want. I mean, I did not have that thought. I just said, I surrender. If that's what you want from me, I'm going to trust you. And, um, that was, uh, a def- another defining moment. And then eight days later, I get a text from my friend up here saying "Winepress just closed their doors. The landlord just threw them out and changed the locks. Would you think about coming back and starting something to help all these authors that just got thrown under the bus? Because they're all like, okay, I can't get my books. I can't, you know, I mean, they were left in the Lord.
1: Oh, my goodness. It just, just like that, huh? Just like, and it's what just happened? Like that. So we know that you moved back there, but what happened to Sound Doctrine and that pastor and his wife?
0: Well, um, they, uh, you know, when they got thrown out, they kind of disbanded the church. What was left of it? There was maybe 20 people left. Um, he pretty much took all the money that he'd sucked out of wine press, which was about a million dollars, um, moved up into the mountain. I mean, he was already in this cabin in the mountains, and he's still there. Um, his wife that I had met at that writer's conference, who at one point, we were very close, um, she got a brain tumor and ended up dying. And, of course, they blamed that on me. It was my because I was exposing them that that's why she died oh. of a brain tumor.
1: Oh my goodness! Yeah,
0: wow. Um, I know, uh, but but he well, has a million it, dollar policy on her life too, so he's sitting pretty uh, up there in the mountain. Well, you
1: know, it's such a difference if you think about it. Uh, the pastor's wife who died and wanted her husband to be happy, so with her dying breath, she you know she recommends you, mm-hmm. and then uh, another person dying, and then the man blames you. The husband blames Accusing you for me. her dying. Yeah yeah I mean, what a what a, a contrary you know what a comparison there.
0: I know, you know? I know so um,
1: I know. I know we have like 15 minutes left and I want to be able to ask some questions, but tell me how you
0: okay, what happened when you got back? you know,
1: we'll speed it up a little.
0: <laughs> well, okay, so right before I came back, I mean just maybe five days before I came back, Ross. Made a comment. Uh, Facebook messaged me and said, "You ought to call me sometime." I, uh, you know, I don't have much going on in the evenings, which was one of those. I mean, I told God, if there's ever, if you have someone for me, He's gonna have to make the first move. He's gonna have to make the initiation. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not gonna be in control here. And uh, so that was that was kind of the start. We ended up talking on the phone while I was traveling back to Seattle. And we knew the minute we got on the phone. I mean, he was my pastor for a year. I knew the guy. It wasn't like I didn't know him. We knew each other well. And I knew his wife well. And we just knew from that first phone call that that was it. We knew we both knew we were going to get married. And he picked me up at the airport. He picked me up at the airport when I got back to Seattle. And that was the first kiss I'd had in 14 and a half years. And we planned our wedding. We, I mean, we ended up getting married about six months later. And uh, we have. it's been almost three years. We have not had a fight yet.
1: You know, we that's so just, romantic. I mean, it's such a romantic kind is. of
0: thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is. And, you know, the, the cool part is I used to sit there in church when I first, you know, got out of the cult, would sit there and listen and preach. And I'd go, God, can I have a guy like that? He loves his Ooh. wife. He's not a flirt. He loves his family. Uh-huh. He's humble. He's transparent. Can I have somebody like that? And I end up getting oh. that guy. That wasn't what I was asking for, but that's what I ended up getting. And it's, I still pinch yeah. myself. It's like
1: you never know I'm still what dreaming. you're asking
0: for. Yeah. Oh. Yep. So,
1: um, so then you you got back in town and and you took this mess that was left of wine press. Yeah and you transformed yep. it to redemption you know aptly exactly. named
0: and, <laughs> redemption yes. press yep
1: and so tell us and about we redemption get, Press.
0: well i wanted you know it was my opportunity to kind of do things differently because the wine press model was what everybody else was doing where you buy a package and you know the the printing of the books is there's a lot of profit marked up for the print for the publisher. And I just felt like I wanted to do something that was better, better for the author. So I just developed a model where people could buy the services that they needed, not just, you know, based on what they actually had and what they needed, not a package one size really doesn't fit anybody deal. Um, So I just kind of created a model that was more service oriented rather than sales oriented and predatory, which a lot of that's a, there's a lot oh, of that yeah. in Christian in the Christian pub, oh, yes. self publishing market today, um, so it's been yes. quite well, a journey, and it's been we've ended up you know we helped a bunch of Wine Press authors, then we helped a bunch of Cross Book authors when they went out of business, then Tate just went out of business. We've been helping a lot of those authors, so it's been a real ministry of redemption. Just you know, not, I'm, not I'm only traditionally on our end.
1: Well, you know, I'm I'm traditionally and indie published, but I've been uh, telling my fellow authors for a long time that really what it's come to now is, is offering the services that indie authors need. That's what we all need is Mm a, you know, a good formatter, you know, uh, someone who does covers well, um, good editors, you know, and that's what we need, you know, because um, indie authors now want to put out books that look no different. From traditionally published books, you know, even with the fleurons and all the exactly. wonderful little extras. <laughs> um, so, this is yep. good. You're off, you, once again, you're pioneering something that's a bit different. Yeah. So, yep. no surprise yeah. there. Yeah. So, I would like to yep. ask, uh, <laughs> let's see, first of all, I want to remind people about your radio show, which is coming on, well, it's tomorrow, right? Uh, Fridays. This is actually Correct. pretty good. Every Friday. Um,
0: Yep, it's Every AM Friday, one o'clock Pacific
1: time. Yeah, and it's AM six thirty KCIS in out of Seattle, Washington. And your show Correct. And if oh, you're well.
0: not in if you're not in Seattle, you can actually get to it on uh KCIS radio dot com. They have a live. And feed. it's called
1: Always Faithful is the name of the show. So they can mm-hmm. they can Google mm-hmm. it if they need to and find it. Okay. Always so faithful I have Radio, question. exactly. All right, now okay. I have some questions. Now, first of all, from Kathleen Barbara turner who um, knows you pretty well, and uh, she uh-huh. just wanted to comment that you've endured so much, you know, because she's been through a lot uh, too. And uh, she said, was there ever a time when you told God you couldn't do it anymore, and how did he respond?
0: Huh, you know, I think since leaving the cult. I don't remember actually saying that I think I, I don't I think I did that a number of times in the cult and but because I was so deceived to where time I would have a negative thought I would think I was in sin, which is of mm, course what yes. the cult leaders would want me to think. Um, yeah. I don't ever really remember having that thought after leaving because it was just so. I mean, I whined a lot to God and I said, can we hurry this up? I mean, I'm, I don't want to be single anymore. Lord, can you please bring me my knight in shining armor? Can you please let me do something that where I can use my gifts? Can you please help me rebuild my life? And even though I don't know what it's going to look like, and I asked him those things, I did more whining than, say I, than, than getting to that place of saying, I can't do this anymore.
1: Okay, well, that's good. Okay, that's a good, let's move on to the next one now. Um, how did your children and the rest of your family react? Were they angry at you for a long time for getting into the, the situation?
0: Well, there definitely was uh, some anger. Well, I mean, we had to just work through because I had to go back to each child and say, I was so wrong. I hurt you. I was deceived. I'm wrong. Please forgive me. I mean I flew down to my son's in Redding, California and we worked with his pastor through a whole day of forgiveness and you know I had to list all the things he had to list all the things he was forgiving me for and I had to list all the things I was asking forgiveness for and it was very um intense but necessary and because yes. it was a real I mean that was some heavy um rejection that i placed on those kids by saying no this is right and i'm giving you up for this so it has been each one has handled it differently but each one has we're all all reconciled and we all have good relationships some are you know still a little struggle a little more than others but it's been god has really redeemed and restored all of those relationships because he's all about redemption.
1: Now, now, that question I forgot he to mention is. was from um, Danelle Woody. Okay, so the next question is from Julia McCall. And she said, what originally led you in the direction of Scientology? And what basic need were you actually expecting them to fulfill in your heart?
0: Well, I think there was something. I, I'm the kind of person that is very cause-driven. I want to be part of something that's bigger than me where I can really make a difference. And so they promoted that, that they were going to clear the planet and they were going to save the world. And so I really got drawn in by that. But it was also the very close kind of family knit uh, relationships that you had with those who you were all on that same page and trying to accomplish that same cause. And I didn't have that close family relationships in my family of origin. So they were meeting that need. And then they were meeting that need for being involved in something that was bigger than me, which, you know, of course, should have been the Great Commission. But it, again, was a counterfeit. So it's, you know, a lot of, uh, you know,
1: people in gangs or, you know, everybody's looking for their tribe, you know, someone who's got their back and, mm-hmm. you know, and I think um, that's what we're all looking for, but we re- we don't find it outside of, of Christ, but I'm glad you did. Um, exactly. Okay. So Jenny, Jenny Walker asks, uh, how would you warn others um, how to stay away from cults like this?
0: Well, y- you kind of have to look for the red flags. You have to look for, any sort of we have the truth and you're not going to hear this anywhere else and we have a special revelation or you know uh, you know when it's when it's spoken in a, that kind of authority that demeans other churches you know it's almost a pharisee type feel but it appeals to your pride and when you have that kind of thing being promoted that's a huge red flag um, yes. When you have when you have something that, uh, you know, zeros in on just a couple of scriptures and and tries to, you know, warn you that if other people disagree with you, you know, they're of the devil or they're, you know, anytime you have that kind of polarizing uh, lack of grace and condemnation and judgmental being judgmental of other Christians. Oh, my run like the hills because that's that's a huge uh red flag
1: kind of like uh, what they say is you and me but not those people behind the tree (laughs) you know yeah just us us against (laughs) them that's what that's kind of the mentality that cults them so um now mary mary golo asks um do you feel like you always gravitated toward extremes i feel like you answered that sort of earlier though
0: yeah, well, and I, w- I was always a very vivacious, you know, I, I, I did everything with gusto. I mean, I f bomb every other sentence. I smoked three packs a day of cigarettes when I smoked. <laughs> I mean, I, I always did everything <laughs> to, to the extreme. So I, that's a very good, yes. And God has had to temper that. And now my time in, uh, I'll tell you, my time in Texas was he really was working on that to get me to just slow down and see, you know, what the, the unhealthy types of behavior that were second nature to me.
1: Okay. Now we have uh, our three last questions from Carla Hoke. Okay. And she has some very intriguing ones. Okay. If someone were going to create a cult, what are some of the key ways to keep people in it?
0: Well, find out. Um, the weaknesses of each person, and use those weaknesses to uh, kind of get them to believe uh, they're going to lose their salvation because of it. So, so it's manipulating people using their vulnerabilities. And, and people wow. that, are, that yes. are cult leaders, they're really good at that. They're very good at that. Um, you know, find scriptures that, specific scriptures that promote your agenda. And just, and use those completely out of context to get people to buy in. Because boy, Mm -hmm. if you're a real charismatic type person, you can really, you can get people to believe almost anything. You find a scripture for it. That's, you know, one line. As we've seen,
1: as we've seen with a lot of, of different cults over the years. Um, now her second question is just to me, uh, I love it. I love it. Uh, why are there so few female cult leaders? Now let's think about that one. I was trying to think of a female cult leader.
0: Yeah! Wow. I know there have—I know question. there have been,
1: there have been some, but I—it's—they're not coming to me.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Right. I. Yeah, that is a good question.
1: <laughs> okay, and if oh, we think of something, or. I know, I know. I was, I was kind of scratching my head and going, well, hmm, <laughs> you know, yep, I mean, I know yep. there were Queens, you know, who believed this or that, but uh, I just can't think of a, a female cult leader. Okay. The last question she had was who would be the most vulnerable um, to a cult to join a cult?
0: Well, I think I think people that have, are wounded, if, they're, if they've been wounded and they've really not dealt with those wounds and allowed Jesus to heal them, um, if they've been rejected, if they've you know gone through um, some real trauma and are uh, just emotionally unstable, uh, there's a real vulnerability there. Um, th- this one particular, Tim Williams and his wife, they always went after... I mean, every single person that was involved had some major wounding from their childhood or they were, uh, developmentally disabled. They went after that population as well because they were just easier, I guess, just easier to scam.
1: Oh, so So cult leaders basically go hunting for the kind of individuals who would be most likely, Mm -hmm. you know, they're easier to control you know, but, uh, but they go hunting Absolutely. for vulnerable people. And, and, you know, and, and Jesus sends us after people who are wounded, who need him, you know, so, oh, it just gets you so but angry, with the right, you know, right.
0: but with yeah, the right with the motives. Right, we're supposed to have the right, right to motives. bring,
1: right. To bring them to him and to bring them to fullness and, and his love, but not to, um, not to the wiles of the enemy. So, um, exactly. gosh, it's been, you as my guest, Athena, and uh, people can find you at athenadeenholtz.com but also um on Redemption Press website if they want to check that out. So, thank you so much exactly. for being on the show, and I hope you'll come back because I feel like we have so much more we could say.
0: Well, I thank would you love so much.
1: Well, get it on okay, the calendar. Awesome. okay? Awesome, okay. <laughs> okay? Well, thank you so much. <laughs> bye bye, good bad. night, come everyone. On.